Did you know that spiritual stagnation can cause us to become detoured from our destiny? Sometimes we can miscalculate the miracle that God has ordained for us and for our destiny because we do not want to go up to possess the promise. And going up may require that we spiritually stretch to the next level. And some of us may not be willing to elevate, to go up to the spiritual stretch in order to possess the highest destiny that God has ordained for our lives. Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Corral, and I'm so glad that you have joined us today for Day of Destiny. Don't settle for partial promises, but go all the way that God wants you to go and experience everything that God has ordained for your life. I want to invite you to go to our website at mydayofdestiny.com. There you will find all of our podcasts and also a selection of our books that will enable you to get to the goal to reach the highest stratosphere of destiny that God has ordained for your life. So now let's get ready to go up to the next level and let's learn the spiritual secrets of possessing the promises in God's word. In Joshua chapter 18, there are connecting components that teach us about the dangers that can dismantle destiny in our lives. Let me just read you the text and then we'll be able to discuss all of the detours that can happen in destiny that the text is bringing out for us. Now, remember, the Bible is not dead history. You and I must understand something. We don't read the Bible like a newspaper, nor do we read it like a textbook. Today, we're going to be reading God's word, and it is going to be teaching us and giving us the blueprint for our breakthrough. When we read the Bible, the Bible is going to be giving us supernatural secrets that will lead us into our destiny. Let's begin. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 18, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation and the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long are you slack in going up to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you? Now, beloved, let's just stop here for a minute. Put the brakes on and let's make an evaluation and an assessment of what Joshua is actually saying. 
Now, please understand the context was very clear. The context was very concise that the land was already subdued before the children of Israel. This word subdued in the Hebrew language means it was already conquered. So what is Joshua talking about? The Bible is telling us, Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long are you slack to go up to possess the land? But didn't we just read in the above verse, in verse one, that the Bible is telling us the land was already subdued before the children of Israel. So what's going on here? What is the text actually trying to teach us? They already conquered. They they already went through a seven-year conquest in the land of Canaan. And actually, Joshua had a 100% victory in seven years. The only casualty of a seven-year conquest in the land of Canaan was Ai, but he went back and he took Ai. So he literally took every single city. So what is Joshua talking about when he is saying to the children of Israel, how long are you slack? Well, first of all, let's look at this word slack. This word slack raises an alarm. Do you know why? Because it's very pungent. But in the Hebrew language, Joshua chose his word selection to be extremely stringent, to bring the children of Israel back to another place in time, to another episode where the children of Israel almost lost their destinies. He is bringing the children of Israel way back to an event that happened in the book of Exodus in the 17th chapter. Why do we know there is a connecting component between Joshua to chapter 18? How long are you slack? to go up to possess the land that the Lord your God has given you? And why do we know there's a connecting component with the very first place Amalek attacked Israel in Joshua excuse me, in Exodus chapter 17, because of the word slack. If we look at this word slack, we see what it means in Hebrew. It is the word rafaf. And that word rafaf is related to the word refidim. Let me explain it to you, dear child of God. If we go way back into the book of Exodus 40 some odd years earlier. Remember, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that survived the wilderness, not even Moses. But if we look and see, there is a common denominator of destiny that we will look at when we compare in concept Joshua and Caleb and why they were the only two that survived uh, the wilderness and the wanderings in the wilderness. And that is because the Bible describes both Joshua and Caleb as having the anointing in their lives. You see, the anointing will always cause you to survive the wilderness, and the anointing will always bring you into the place of possession of promises. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, the Bible says, the Lord told Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, and bring him before the congregation of Israel, a man in whom is the spirit. 
And the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, when describing Caleb, the Bible says, but my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit with him. So here we see the descriptions that help us understand how one possesses one's destiny through the spirit of God. We see Caleb as an identity of the spirit, and we see Joshua as an identity of one who is a man in whom is the spirit. So here we are seeing this common denominator of destiny, the anointing. And because they had the anointing, they were able to survive the wilderness. And this is why these are the two up in years that are going to possess the promises of God, because the anointing is strength. But now we're going back to this connecting component that we see in Joshua chapter 18, looking at verse three, how long are you slack in going up to possess the land. We saw that it does not make sense that Joshua would ask such a question when the land was already subdued before them. So now examining the clues, why is Joshua saying this? As we look at this word and we make an evaluation of the word, we see it is related to the first battle that Israel has with Amalek. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, and all the congregation of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, to the children of Israel, why are you chiding with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water and the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of the land of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Now, beloved saints, let's make an evaluation here. First of all, Moses is calling the name of the place. Two names. The first name of the place where the children of Israel are complaining because there is no water is Rephidim. Rephidim is related to that word that we saw in Joshua chapter 18, which corresponds and connects to the concept of slacking. Yes, slacking. The Bible calls Raphaph slack. And we see that the children of Israel, when they arrived in Rephidim, were in a place of spiritual stagnation. You see, beloved saints, if we make an evaluation of the days that the children of Israel left Egypt, they left Egypt on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. And we know they arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai, where they will remain for an entire year in the third month. So here we have from the 15th of Nisan to the third month, almost 50 days. 
It actually, when they received the Torah, when they received the commandments of God, and when they experience all the anointing that God is going to pour on them at Mount Sinai, it's going to be 50 days corresponding with the 50th day, the day of Pentecost that occurred in the upper room. So we need to see that something happened to Israel to cause a spiritual stagnation. Now you are saying, Dr. Corral, could you please explain what is going on here? First of all, we need to notice that when they left Israel, being so far into the journey, they're now running out of water. You mean to tell me for almost three months, they didn't have any water? Is that what's happening? And they're now all of a sudden complaining because they don't have water? I want you to know there is absolutely no evidence in the scripture that they took any water with them. There is no evidence in the scripture that they took any canteens or any form of water whatsoever. So what is going on here? We should make a spiritual assessment to know that everything that happened through the wanderings in the wilderness had spiritual substance behind it. Everything that was going on in the wilderness was purely spiritual. The manna rained from heaven. The water is later going to come out of the rock as we're going to see here. That God is going to command water out of the rock in Exodus 17. We need to understand that the wanderings in the wilderness, cloud by day, fire by night, is an, an absolute supernatural experience. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that the clothes that they left Egypt with... They kept those clothes in perfect condition for 40 years. Their foot, their feet did not swell. Their sandals did not wax thin. God ringed down manna from heaven. They were living in the supernatural realm. So why are they complaining? First of all, beloved saints, we need to see something. The text is going to articulate to us that the Supply source has been cut off. Say that with me. The supply source has been cut off because it's humanly impossible for 600,000 who left Egypt to survive now going into the third month without water. We must understand they were already receiving water, but the supply source of that water was purely supernatural. How did the water come then? Where did it come from? We have no evidence up to this point that water is going to come out of the rock. What happened? You see, the children of Israel were hearing the teachings of Moses every single day. They were under the anointing. They were under the cloud. They were under the power of God. Coming through the Red Sea was an incredible experience. Paul defines it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and likens it unto a baptism in the spirit. Why? Because as the sea split, which was the greatest natural miracle that ever took place in human history, the Red Sea splitting, we must understand what kind of power 
the children of Israel experienced through the winds. We're not talking just about the winds like a tornado. We are speaking about the wind of God's spirit. We are speaking about the anointing and the power of God that split that sea and the children of Israel walking through and God being a pillar of fire by night, holding back the enemies of God, holding back the enemies of Israel and a light by night to these to give them them a pathway through the sea to lead them safely across the sea. While when Pharaoh and his chariots tried to get into the sea, God caused a wind and swallowed up Pharaoh in his chariots. So they were under a tremendous protection, a tremendous anointing, a tremendous power of God. And so as a result of being in that place of complete saturation and complete immersion of the anointing and hearing the teachings of Moses every day, they also had in their midst Miriam. Miriam, the prophetess. Miriam, who, when there is a prophet in the land, The prophet, by prophesying, by bringing the word of the living God, provides living water for the camp. And so it miraculously manifested, not only because of the teaching of God's word through Moses, but also through Miriam being the prophetess that she was. And we must understand that God is now taking care of Israel because the waters are being continuously replenished by the teaching and by the anointing. And they had not run out until they got to Rephidim. Rephidim, a place not just of running out of water, a place of spiritual stagnation, a place where the anointing began to dissipate, a place where they began to spiritually stagnate, And the sign that they're spiritually stagnating is that they begin to complain against Moses and against Aaron. And they begin to accuse Moses. And as a matter of fact, they want to return to Egypt. And they said to Moses, have you brought us out here to this wilderness to kill us and kill our children and kill our cattle? Is that why we're here? What kind of a question is that? They were brought out for an experience with God. They were brought out of the land of Egypt to go to Mount Sinai. God said, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. Three days journey into the wilderness. And now, beloved saints, we see that they're in a place called Rephidim. Rephidim with the root, rafaf, slack, spiritual stagnation, complaining, murmuring, double-mindedness. One day we serve God, one day we don't. One day we're on fire, the next day we spiritually stagnate. Now, beloved, the sign that they're so spiritually in a dangerous place 
is because they now come to a place called doubting. And if you look at the word, the Bible tells us in verse seven, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding, the complaining of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Wait a minute. Is the Lord among us or not? Is there something wrong with this picture? The Red Sea splits, fire by by night, cloud by day. He literally bankrupts Egypt. They're taking all the riches out of Egypt. God has transformed the years of their tears into supernatural reaping in the places they were constantly weeping. And we need to realize that something's going on here. What is wrong with this picture? How could they possibly say, is the Lord among us or not? You see, this, when we get to this place of spiritual stagnation, the next step is doubt. And whether we realize it or not, the Bible is going to tell us what the third step is. The third step is literally self-induced because the Bible says in verse eight, then came Amalek and attacked Israel in Rephidim. Now, I want you to understand something about Amalek. Amalek is, or Amalek as we say in English, Amalek is not just a group of people. I want you to understand, the Lord said here in Exodus 17, verse 16, that the Lord has sworn that he will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now there are no more Amalekites. So how in the world are we going to have war with Amalek from generation to generation? How is God going to have war with Amalek from generation to generation? It's only when we understand how Israel spiritually induced the attack of Amalek through being in a state of spiritual stagnation related to the word Rafath, which means slack. Let me share with you, going back to Joshua, what this literally means and why Joshua selected this word. He polished it. He primed it. He used it to bring the children of Israel to their senses. Why? Because if we go back in the text and we evaluate from the context, remember, explanation is obtained from the context. Can you say that with me? Explanation is obtained from the context. That means the verses above in the scripture that we read always teach us what the verses below mean. So when we read in Joshua 18, how long will you be slack to go to possess the land that the Lord your God has given you? We must look at the previous verses. And guess what? There's a little clue here. 
that shows us why Joshua said these words. Even after the land was already subdued, Joshua, before he left this earth, wanted to make sure that the children of Israel were not in a state of spiritual apathy because it would become so dangerous for their destinies. It would literally affect the future of the promised land. It would affect whether they're going to accept full possession of promise or partial promise. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so determined for destiny. I do not want partial promises. And I want you to know it's not God's will for you to accept partial promises. It's God's will for you to go up and fully possess the promises that God has ordained for your life. How do we do it? Well, let's look here at verse 14. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 17, looking at verse 14, and the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given us but one lot, one portion to inherit? Seeing I am a great people for as much as the Lord has blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered them and said, if you be a great people, then get up to the wood even the wood country, and cut down for yourself in the land of the Perizzites and the giants if Mount Ephraim is too narrow for you. And the children of Joseph said, the hill is not for us. All the Canaanites dwell in the valley and they have chariots of iron. Both they who are of Bethshean and her towns and all of those who are of the valley of Jezreel. Now, let's just stop here for a moment. Joshua has just told them where their destiny lies. Joshua has just given them the answer to their complaint. They had complained and they said, look at, we're a great people. Why have you only given us one portion? Joshua didn't just give them one portion. Joshua has told them, if you be a great people. And why is he saying this? Because they are children of Joseph. So number one, you are not going to possess your destiny by getting a free pass. You don't get your destiny just because you're children of Joseph. Pedigree does not necessarily qualify you for destiny. So he says, if you are a great people. Then get up to the mountain. Go to get the wood and cut it down. In other words, what Joshua is saying, go up to the next level. Go up in prayer. Go up in your consecration to God. Go up in your determination for serving God. Make a commitment that will change your life. Make a radical commitment. You see, God is calling this generation. He wants this generation to make a radical, radical commitment of consecration. To say, God, I will do whatever it takes. If you are calling me to be a missionary and go out and take the nations, that's not just going to happen by twiddling our thumbs. That's not just going to happen by hoping and wishing and just sitting back and thinking about it. We have to get a plan. We have to get purpose in our lives. And now Joshua is saying, if you be a great people, then go up. And God is saying, if you 
know the greatness that he has put inside of you. God wants that greatness activated. God wants that anointing within you activated. And the way it's going to happen is if you go up. If you say to God in 2021, God, I don't want 2021 to be like 2020. I was shut up in 2020. And Lord, I want to learn from spending all that time with you. What were you speaking into my life? What were you doing? What's the meaning behind losses? What's the meaning behind losing some of the most important people in my life? God, what are you saying to me? What do you have me to do, Lord? You see, beloved saints, he wants you to go up. He's given us 2020, not as a lockdown, but as a shut in, as a place where we can hear from God, as a place where we can search the scriptures. And he's challenging us to go up, to possess the promise that he's ordained for us. But notice the children of Joseph felt so entitled and they said, this land is not for us. They actually told Joshua, I don't want that lot. I want another lot. So often the Lord hands us our lot. He hands us our destiny. And it's up to us to say, Lord, you gave me this destiny. You gave me this lot. Now give me the strength to go up and turn all of my trials and all my tribulation into the supernatural, miraculous manifestation of destiny that you want it to be in my life. You see, beloved, these are children of Joseph and they have the ability to read the script. What does that mean, read the script? You see, when you accept your destiny, when you accept the lot that God has given to you, knowing that God is faithful, he didn't just give some good things and some others bad things. That's not the God that we serve. He doesn't give some a free pass and others not a free pass. No, we have to learn how to read the script in life, like Joseph. You see, Joseph could have stayed bitter. He could have stayed stuck. He could have stayed in that place of saying, my brethren sold me here to Egypt. God, get them back. He could have said, they didn't even bother to search me out all these years. I've been a slave in Egypt. My father, Jacob, he's a rich man. They could have sent somebody out here just to see if I'm dead or alive. But Joseph didn't do that. No, Joseph, when his brothers were before him, said, I and Joseph. Now don't be angry that you sold me here. Don't be angry at yourselves or grieved with yourselves that you sold me here because you didn't bring me here. God did. He brought me to this place to save lives and to save and to preserve you a posterity in the earth so that you and your little ones can survive because there are five more years left to this famine where there will be neither earring or harvest. You see, Joseph read the script. The script wasn't 
poor little betrayed Joseph. His brothers were so cruel to him. No, Joseph read the script. God brought me to Egypt. He has a plan. And I'm going to accept that plan. It wasn't my brothers who brought me here because God is greater than any test. God is greater than any hardship. God is greater than any attack of the enemy. God is greater than anything I've ever been through. And if I've survived my storm this long and I'm still standing, then God has something so great for me. Beloved, go up and take the territory. You can drive the chariots of iron out of your land. Amen and amen.